death will come to us all. This is certain. And yet, there seems to be so much stigma, taboo, fear and difficulty surrounding this inevitable part of life. I'm Sultram, and this is What About Death? Everything you wanted to know about death, but were afraid to ask. Welcome back to Season 2 of What About Death podcast, brought to you by karuna.org.au. As you enjoy today's episode, we'd love it if you could follow the podcast and give us a star rating, hopefully five stars. You can also find us online at What About Death podcast to stay up to date with new episodes and other exciting information. We'll be posting new episodes every two weeks, so make sure to check back and let your friends and family know where they can find us too. So today's guest on What About Death is Australian author Marcus Zusak, who wrote the international best-selling novel The Book Thief that is now, I believe, translated into 40 languages. Marcus has been recognised with a number of literary awards both here in Australia and in the US for his books, including those he's written for children and young adults. I'm really honoured to have you join me today uh, Marcus, to talk about your amazing novel, The Book Thief. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure and I can't wait. <laughs> so now this book was first released in, in 2005, so that's nearly 20 years ago. So it's a, it's a timeless story for sure. But, you know, I only discovered it for the first time last year. So my apologies for that. That's very remiss of me. <laughs> But how did you, how did the idea of having death as the narrator of the story come about? Well, it's funny. I, I love that you're apologising. It, it, but it's actually a real compliment because it's just got that little bit of magic dust sprinkled over it. That book, you know, not by me. Uh, it's just the, it's just had a long life and and a really interesting life. And to be talking to you about it is icing on the cake after all these years. And considering you know, that thought of using death as the narrator, it didn't, these things never happen the way you think they do. And, uh, you know, people think writers sit down and try to think of big ideas. That's the surest way to not get a big idea. Uh, I was working with some kids at a school. Like I, I had an idea about a girl stealing books in modern day Sydney. I also had stories that my mum and dad told me about. They grew up in, my mum grew up outside of Munich during and after World War II and my dad grew up outside Vienna in a small town in the same period of time. And they told me these incredible stories and and my brother and two sisters as well. But I'm the spoiled one uh, because I'm the youngest and I'm not spoiled in the way people think the youngest is spoiled. It's because I got to spend the most amount of time with my mum and dad at a meaningful age uh, where my sisters had moved out, my brother was doing other stuff. So I would say to them, tell me, can you tell me that story about, you know, when you came out of the ground and the whole city was on fire but the ground was covered in ice. And so I'd hear all these stories and there were all these opposites in the story like that, like fire and ice. And, and then I was writing with some kids at a school one day and I got them to write, and I can tell you even the sentence. The sentence was, I have seen the colour of time on three occasions. It's just a nonsense sentence, really. And I wrote with them, and I realised that I wrote about, I wrote three tiny little stories, just a paragraph or two each, maybe 15 lines each, 
uh, about three different deaths. And then I realized that death was the, narr- that was the person narrating, you know, I personified death. And then I went, oh, you know, very offhandedly, I sort of went, maybe I should just put that in that book that I'm thinking of, uh, you know, writing about my mum and dad's stories. And then I'd already then thought about using the book thief idea of girl stealing books during that time. And there I had these three sort of ingredients, you know, that I just sort of thrown into the soup, the stories of my parents, a girl stealing books and death narrating. And that was how I started with no clue really what to do next. Death went through a lot of different iterations as I was writing. So tell me a little bit about the the storyline that this novel takes. It started with a story where I, I, I knew the story about the war where there was a train going from one place to another through Germany and this one woman that we knew here in Australia told us that her mum buried one of her, her sisters in the snow and I got this idea about a, a girl stealing books in Nazi Germany and it, to, to talk about it without saying the story, it's usually the best way to, to give the feeling of a book it's about the idea that Hitler destroyed people with words in Nazi Germany and this is a story about a girl who's stealing the words back and she's writing her own story with those words and it's a beautiful story written through that ugly world around her. And in that process you see real German people who are not the typical Germans you see in films, uh, people like Hans and Rosa Huberman, who Liesl, the main character, lives with, that they're her foster parents, and they hired Max Vandenberg, a young Jewish man who stays in their basement. And it all centres around that world, and Liesl steals books and she, she reads the books to him. So it's these people who are creating a beautiful story uh, through that terrible world of Nazi Germany. And, and as we, we know, there are, there are many of those stories. It's sort of like a well that won't run dry that particular period of time. And so that's what the book is about to me. Did you find it easy or difficult to make that decision that the main character was going to be a young German girl during the, the Nazi Germany era? Your best decisions are always natural ones. Uh, they're never the ones that you agonise over. In most cases, it was really natural to me because I, I always just saw my mum in the stories that she told me, and they were just amazing stories. So even the, the sort of contrast that I was talking about was where children that she knew, you know, older kids, you know, they'd see people being taken to Dachau, which was you know another sixteen or seventeen miles from the town she grew up in. And they would run out and give bread to the prisoners who were going there. And and when an old man couldn't keep up and collapsed on the road, a boy went and gave him a piece of bread and they were both whipped, one for taking the piece of bread, and the boy was chased down and whipped for giving him the bread by German soldiers. And in that story you've got beauty and destruction in the same breath. And so for me... Those stories were always seen through the lens of a young girl. And so it was just I never contemplated anything other than that. It just all of those things just made sense to me. Tell me about the fact that, you know, death is the the main character or the the, the narrator of the story. Did you have any trepidation at all about writing a novel about death? 
Well, it's so funny that later on when I'd finished the book, it was supposed to be a 100-page novella. Really? <laughs> yeah. As you can tell, I got a bit carried away. You know, it turned into a 580-page book that means everything to me. And uh, as soon as I brought death in as the narrator, I thought, oh, maybe now it'll be 250 pages. And that I have so many fears when I'm writing about my abilities and about you know, whether I can write the book or what people will think of it and all those sorts of things. But there comes a moment and I take everything I've got and I risk all of it. I take everything. It's like you go to the casino, (laughs) gather everything and you go, let's just bet everything. And I was betting everything all the time on this book and and using death as the narrator was a part of that. I mean, the joke that I would often say, because I thought this book would sink without a trace, that the fact that we're talking to each other 16, 17 years after it was released in Australia uh, as its first release is, is quite staggering because, you know, I'd always imagine someone trying to recommend it to their friends and the friend says, well, what's it about? And you say, well, it's set in Nazi Germany. It's narrated by death. Yeah, nearly everyone dies and uh, it's 580 pages long. You'll love it. But I knew it had, I just knew it had something. There was something special when I was writing that book that I didn't have in my previous books. And I think I describe it now as all my other books prior to that really meant a lot to me. They meant so much to me, but this book meant everything. And I think that's probably because of the subject I was dealing with and also the fact that I was honouring my parents by writing this book, I think. Yes. So what sort of research did you do to capture this voice of death? Research is not always my strong point. I, although I did go to, after I finished, I did you know, huge amounts of research, but I'm always, as I'm researching, the best thing about research is when gives you ideas to jump off towards. Mm. For example, my favourite character is a little boy called Rudy and he became my favourite character from the moment I imagined him pretending to be Jesse Owens and putting charcoal over his whole body and running 100 metres and I thought, oh, that really brought him to life as a character. And so I walked into the library and I saw a picture of Jesse Owens on the front of a a book about the Olympics, and I was going there to research soccer players or football players of that era. I was just given this gift without even opening a book. Often it's the surprises that research give you. So in terms of researching death, I was more trying to stay away from other portrayals of death that I'd seen, in you know, whether it was movies or in books. Death will often appear as a character, like in The Seventh Seal. You know, and there's that cartoon version and the idea of the Grim Reaper. And so it, it was more a research of trial and error. So when I first wrote Death as, as the narrator, he was what we would imagine. He was sort of sadistic and sardonic and he would say the most awful things and he was enjoying his work a little bit too much so he was almost sleazy in a way too it was almost like I'd write a page and feel like I had to go and take a shower or something and I thought this isn't really who I am and you've got to be true to yourself but what that did was it gave me I wrote 200 pages like that I wrote this book very quickly for a month in January of 2003 or four. And then I looked at it and went, oh, my God, this is 
awful <laughs> what I've done here. And then, but the thing, the difference there is it's better to have 200 unruly pages than to have two perfect pages. So I have had a carcass to sort of pick from, which is a pretty, you know, I don't want to come out with disturbing images here, but that's kind of what it's like. And you just pull out the gems and then you start again. But I realized that death wasn't really working as the narrator. And so I tried Liesl uh, as a first person narrator and that didn't work either because despite my German and Austrian background, she was still the most Australian sounding German girl in the history of books. You know? And so then I went to just straight third person and I thought, this is everything I've been trying to avoid. And I arrived back at death and don't worry, I won't give you a spoiler, but I thought of the last line of the book mm-hmm. and I went, oh, that's it. What if death was haunted by us? Mm. What if death is sort of afraid of humans and afraid for humans? So there was just this chink in his armour that made made him so much more interesting to me. And after this trial and error period and fallow periods where it wasn't working, I came back and wrote the book like that and it just needed that slight adjustment. And that's the thing that people talk about if you've done the work. You don't have to make wholesale changes. It's You just have to tweak a few things and you go, oh, that's it. That That's what just let all of the light in. And that's what happened uh, when I just made death vulnerable in that way. And, you know, he still had the same sense of humour. That was still, that was always there. And But I just wanted death and all of those ideas, like where he'd say things like, if you really want to know what I look like, the closest thing w- would be to go and look in the mirror. I wanted death to be sort of like the missing part of us and it was why I wanted death to speak in ungrammatical ways as well or or, or say things wrong. There are moments and they're deliberate where death will say something like and they kneeled there and they're on the street and and there was the sky who was wide and blue and magnificent. Like he'll, he'll, he'll talk about the sky as who rather than inanimate object or the trees who were standing over to the right i wanted death to speak about the world and about humans as if we were all just part of the same thing and those things were were really important to me not soften things but just to to think about death as the missing piece of us and and life and death being what makes everything we do worth it because at one point death says that even death has a heart. Just bringing that in terms of visualization that death has a heart moves away from the traditional portrayals of death as being emotionless or cold or dark and negative. So how did you, you know, you said a little bit earlier that you had an idea of what death was going to be and then that didn't sort of work. So how do you maintain the motivation and shift the creativity to end up with this amazing character that has emotions, you know, has humour, has empathy, has sorrow and has heart? I think death, I I think I was really naive too when I was writing this book. And when you think of it, I was was 30 when this book came out. So I was 26 really when I started it, 27. I mean, I was, and I was such a, you know, I was a kid. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did know, it's not like I, I never know how to write even. You know, I, I just 
put all of my efforts into stumbling around through the dark trying to find a light switch that will actually turn the light on. And with death, it was like with any other character that I write, the most important thing in a book is is not you need everything. You need the characters and the plot and moments, but what you need is a voice to carry you through. And what I realised with death was that I had that voice. Even when he was really dark and nasty and awful, it was a voice that carried things through. And even the little announcement that he gives, like, here is a small fact, you are going to die. I just, I, I can still see exactly where I was sitting when I wrote that. We lived in a little townhouse uh, back then and I was had a little office there and I was sitting up at night and I heard that sentence, here is a small fact, you are going to die. And I just, I saw it in my head in the middle of the page and so without thinking, always the thing that you tell people who want to be writers, there's a time to think really hard, but sometimes just don't think at all. Just do. Just do what you your intuition was telling you. So I put that in the middle of the page and these little signposts became memorials in a way that are scattered through the book. You know, they're almost like tombstones. So I just there were just all these little bits of, you know, I guess creativity that death lent itself to as a as a narrator, and I just went with it almost every time. Every time there was an idea to take a risk, I took it. And it's how the, the book turned out that way. And even though death is, is this narrator, that there was always a sense of a real commitment to life in his attitude. And I guess that is in my attitude as well. And so in so many ways, death is me telling the story. My favourite thing, well, one of my favourite things people say come up and talk to me about the book and you know it's so great because you start your career and you don't think anyone's going to read your books and at first they don't and unless you're really lucky but people would come up to me and say you know oh my god I feel so much better now about dying (laughs) having read your version of death and I always look at them and I say you know I'm really happy for you (laughs) because I think sometimes I'm still just as scared as I've always been I think it's it's more my own vulnerabilities that I transfer into my writing and, and I find that even when I'm speaking somewhere, people don't always want a polished person up front giving you a lecture. They just want someone who's real and often it's showing your vulnerabilities and, and telling the truth that brings people towards you. So I think that's how I felt about death as a character, and, and to me, death probably has an Australian accent as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, you got to come with me. It's time to go. <laughs> In the book, death reveals which characters are going to die during the course of the the novel at the beginning of the story. So I'm interested in how you went about doing that because it's quite unusual. I mean, that's quite an unusual um, way to to write it, I guess, or at least from the the stories that I've read in in the past. So I'm interested in two things. So one is how did you decide, you know, which characters were going to die so early on? And then because of that, how did you work through this process from an emotional perspective? I mean, each character is like quite profound. So how did you deal with that emotionally yourself as you were developing the the characters, knowing that 
some of them were going to die at the end. It's sort of like you're trying to perform a magic trick, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to think of it being too much of an art form. It's a magic trick, but it's also just building a brick wall. And you want there to be just enough bricks that it holds, you know, not too many bricks, not too too little amount of bricks. And that's how you're building your characters so that they feel whole. And when it came to characters dying, I loved all of those characters in that book. And I knew who was going to die and, let's face it, it was going to be most of them because of bombing raids and, and certain things. But there, there, was, there was also this great but awful sense of fate where a certain character would do something like Rudy's father tries to save Rudy from becoming super Nazi citizen being sent to this school and he gets sent away to the war to fight, which he survives. But Rudy and the rest of his family, the bombs come down and they're gone. And Rudy being my favourite character, people sometimes come to me, you know, and they say, man, I hated you. (laughs) How could you kill my favourite character? How could you let Rudy die? And I look at those people and I say, exactly what I said to you earlier. I said, you know, Rudy was my favourite character. He's probably the favourite character I've ever written across all of my books. And I say, and I say it's so awful and cold. Talk about death being cold. But I just say, you know, he was my favourite character, but not for one second did I consider letting him live. Mm. And awful as that sounds, it's because you do what's right for the book, not what's right for a particular character in the book. And also, for me, I probably wouldn't love Rudy as much if I'd let him live. He'd jump to his feet after Liesl's kissed his dusty bomb-hit lips, as, as Death says. It just makes me love him more and there's a real poetry to their relationship. And so I make those sort of decisions and I see it in my head and then when I write it, I want to feel it. And so when I was writing the end of the book, so it's written in 10 parts with a prologue and an epilogue and all of part 10, I was just bawling the whole time. And I wrote the first half of it over a whole night. I was down in Melbourne. I wasn't at home here in Sydney. And then I went and spoke at a school. I did five sessions at a school on the, on the Monday after that Sunday night. And then I slept Monday night. And then Tuesday night, I did the second half of part 10 and bawled all over again. And I thought, I, th- I think this feels right. Getting it right. If, if this is the kind of emotion I'm feeling as I'm writing it. So yeah, and when it comes to giving it away, it was, again, that idea of death doing things differently. He gives the reader a big slap halfway through the book and tells them that Rudy's going to die, and that did several things. First, it's just that first shock, and then everything Rudy does after that point suddenly seems to almost earn him double points, you know, because we know he's going to die, and readers might even feel like, oh, maybe he maybe he will live, and it, it just... To me, it just felt right and I just went, do it now, do it now. And that's how I wrote the book, how it is the thing that it is. It's the one thing that I can say about that book. You know, there's this idea in some circles that this is just this universally loved book. There are people who don't love it. There are people who kind of loathe the book. But what I know is that no one could ever call the book unambitious because, you know, I always felt like I was writing something really ambitious. I knew that 
They couldn't say that it didn't have a lot of ideas in it, whether they liked those ideas or not. But there was always, it was always doing something different. It is totally itself. And I know that out of all the books I've written, this is the one that I look at and I say, no one else could have written that book. And that's kind of the most you can hope for in a career, I think. And I think the beautiful thing about it is that there are complexities and intricacies. I mean, I think the thing about Rudy's death is that that's human. It's like that's the inevitability. And it's interesting how people often will have the presumption in novels that the the denial aspect of life and death is is what's paramount. But I think one of the beauties of this book is that there's a realism to it as well that's just that that's human and beautiful. I wanted it to reflect exactly what you're talking about. That it's no I don't want to use the word exploration, but that it is it's a whole work and it's a and it's a whole life. And even though it's a it although all novels are still less so than short stories, let's say, but they're still just a small part to tell the whole of a life. But I wanted everything to feel like that world was set in that small town and that you would love the people who were there. You would love Max hiding in the basement and you'd love Hans and Rosa for for all of their, you know, small vulgarities, but their, their, their real the love that was at the core of them. And so... It's one of those books that I kind of, I'm not going to say I miss it because that's really a bit over the top. I mean, I was just bloody glad I finished it, actually. Mm-hmm. But I realise now, and I think we don't know these things at the time, but I was so alive when I was writing that book. And it's when I feel most alive is when I'm writing well. And I look back so happily on it, even though there's a great sadness in the book. But like I said, you know, there's that real commitment to life that, I never felt like it was depressing because I think all of the characters live and make beautiful decisions. And that's, to me, maybe that's what the book is about. It's about people making beautiful decisions. And, you know, in amongst that complexity of life and death being so close to each other all the time in that part of history. And the extraordinary relationship between death and Liesl, it was throughout her entire lifetime, this relationship that just continued and in many different ways. So did that shift and change as you were writing or did you always have that constructed idea right from the beginning? Yeah, I didn't really mean it. I think there was just this idea. I just needed things happen in novels just out of necessity. You know, your best ideas are often just because you've got a problem. I tell people all the time, I don't have a great imagination. I just have a lot of problems and <laughs> that's where because you go, oh, how am I going to fix that? And and every time you do that, you're adding, you know, to the quality of the book. And so in the case of Death and Lisa, I just always needed Death sort of to be near her, uh, you know, that she was always close and Death was always just sort of missing her. There's a moment where Death enters the room and Max is there when he first at one point when he's freezing down in the basement, he says, I was so close, so close, but he surged, drifted back away. After all, there was plenty of other work to do. You know, whether it was trying to create tension or not, it was just something that I felt needed to be there. And this idea that death, you know, he makes the statement, I saw the book thief three times. And then the last time, you know, he finds her story and he carries it, as he says, as 
one of the small multitude, you know, that have given him hope for the human race. Which is timely because I know earlier you mentioned the last word from death and that you didn't want to give it away, but I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Are, are we allowed? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as long as I don't give it away, it's all good. So the last word from death, he says, I am haunted by humans. And I just, I mean, that for me, I read that and it was like, wow, there's so many potential interpretations of that statement, depending on how you chose to see the book as you read it and experienced it. For you, was that sentence something that came to you early on in the book or was that also an evolution? You know, the first thing I'm going to admit to you, well, it's a sort of, I I say homage, uh, but because one of my favourite films and also shorts or novellas is A River Runs Through It. Mm. Uh, which is all, which also deals with death. And the last line of that book, which is also the last line of the film, is I am haunted by waters. And then I just thought, um, I love that line and I thought, oh, I can, oh, what about I'm haunted by humans? It suits death. And I thought it's also me paying tribute to a river runs through it and it's paying homage and not, not just out-and-out plagiarism. And I loved the line because like, exactly what you said, that it's everything. And I think leading up to it, Death says something like, you know, when he finally comes for Liesl, when she's an old woman, uh, living in the suburb, you know, I always see it as the suburb where my mum and dad still live. And, and he says, and there were people on the street and there were Hitlers and Hubermans and there were Maxes and Rudys and all the, you know, all these different people and he he wonders how the same thing could be so terrible and and so beautiful and so he's haunted by all of those possibilities and we can be haunted by beautiful things as well as terrible things and so I think that's that's what he was trying to say there and what I was trying to say that there's another point where death will say something said something along the lines of something about humans he says just take humans and add water Uh, or take something and add water and that was a very obscure reference to the idea that humans are predominantly made of water and so yeah it was all of that coming together and and so the last line just really did some things up for me about how I felt how I felt about the book how I felt about the characters in the book how I felt about death and life and just about humans in general and and what we're like because we are destructive and selfish and, and we're also incredibly beautiful at times. So uh, death sums things up for me there, I think. Now, your more recent book is called Bridge of Clay and death does uh, continue to feature, though in quite a different way. Mm-hmm. So what was the inspiration for writing about family dynamics and grief and why did you choose to write chapters on both life and death? Yeah, it, there's one moment in Bridge of Clay where this family, uh, so just to put it you know, simply for, for people, is that it's about a family of five brothers whose dad has left them uh, and left after their mother has died and she had a, a long drawn out death and there's one description of death there are a couple there's one where they're just trying to shut all the doors of the house to keep death away 
but death is just waiting, hanging up on the, the telegraph wires or there are times where death is just sitting on the, the curtain rail in the kitchen. And that was a little, just a little nod to people who had read the book Thief. But just, but I, I thought it belonged in the book as well. But yeah, Bridge of Clay was a book that came to me long before the book Thief. It was an idea I'd had since I was 19 or 20 years old. And I'm one of the lucky people where I, I knew what I wanted to be since I was 16 years old, that I wanted to be a writer. And, and Bridge of Clay was one of, not one of my first ideas, but it's a book that it was the book that I thought was always my best idea and then the book thief came along and just sort of blew it away and I'd written but it was also always going to be a problematic book so the way I often describe it and this is where you know this is where my wife she always wants to kills me for saying things like this but the book thief is a book that was a, an incredibly tough book to write it was a real ask and it took tremendous effort to write that book but when you read it it appears as if it was effortless bridge of clay very different it is the same effort went into it and for considerably longer you know it was basically 13 years between the two books but it was a tremendous effort and you can feel that effort in every word but that's also suits the character of clay who is carrying that family on his shoulders. So it all just, you know, the idea of death in that book was was much harder. Well, I think death in the book thief just sort of hovers over everything, whereas death in Bridge of Clay, it's sort of like it's all in Clay's heart. It's all on his shoulders. And in so many ways, Bridge of Clay is a better book than the book thief. It's more disciplined in the writing. Every word is accounted for. And yet, it's the, it's a tougher book to read. I, I often just say to people, this isn't a book for weaklings. It's not an airport novel. But that said, it's not impenetrable either. And there's, there's reward for your efforts in getting in there. And, and there's laughter and beauty in that family as well. You know, I really love that family and I loved writing about them. So why do you think it's important for people to read stories that have death as a prominent feature of them? Yeah, there's a there's a teacher who was also a writer named Pat Flynn a long time. I always talk about him and in, in the sense of what he talked about. And he he said when he was disciplining boys, they were especially if they'd done something cruel to a girl, like throw something across the classroom that really hurt them or something. And the boys just wanted to know what the punishment was. And he'd say, I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying to you. I'm trying to get you to understand how she felt when you threw that pen or whatever at her and it hurt her and that's what I want you to understand not what you're punished this is not about you and your punishment and that's what novels do it's just the idea of empathy and so I think death as much as other things when they're in novels allow us to 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 see things through other people's experience and also to imagine to imagine death because death will come for all of us it'll come for the people we love, it'll and it won't be pretty. It'll be a lot of the time, most of the time, it won't be. And, and just what you were talking about, the the brutality and and beauty of things. I mean, you only need to see see birth for that. And you know, and death isn't really that that much different in in some ways. And I'm not professing at all to be an expert in the field of, of that. But I've had loved ones and friends uh, die on 
and, and I've seen that. And, and so I have some idea that, that there's, it's a tough thing to see for all of us. And if it appears in a novel or a movie or a poem or in an artwork of any kind, it makes us understand that it is awful, it is tough, and, and it's also beautiful as well and it, and it gives a lot of meaning to how we live the rest of our lives. I think that's why it's important that it's included, but I'm still working it, working it out why we need it in novels, but that's my feeling. So then tell me how writing these books has influenced your own perception of the inevitability of dying and death, but also love and grief because, as Queen Elizabeth once said, we only grieve because we've we've loved. So how how has writing these books influenced your own views around these things? Uh, I, I don't know if it's influenced my views. I, I think what I love about being a writer is that what I loved about and always loved about being a reader is that you're reading something. And this is where, see, I love movies because movies or television or whatever it is that you're watching, it allows you to see the characters. Books, when you're reading a book and it's such a personal thing and you have to do that extra bit of work to read what's happening, you become the characters. And that's what writing these books has done for me. Uh, uh, Reading books, uh, that's what made me want to be a writer was I'd be reading, you know, The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton and going, just loving it and knowing that it's all made up but believing it while I was inside it. And to me, there's just this magic act, just trying to make some sort of magic happen where I'm making something up, but we believe it when we're inside it. And that's what it's done for me. And so when Liesl is finding Hans and Rosa or or Rudy or when she's hugging Max when, when he comes back at the end, I'm there. I'm believing it. I am Liesl and I'm Max. And when Clay is doing the one thing that his dad can't do in, in Bridge of Clay, I'm experiencing it. And so I think that's what it's doing for me is that it's making me imagine life as someone else. Imagining is something that we all do and I'm lucky enough that I get to do it for a living. Has it given you a greater sense of your own mortality? I don't know, to tell you the truth. It, I think in a lot of ways I just I just do the work I'm just looking for those little moments to happen and I often describe writing like it's like you're climbing a really steep mountain. It's really hard work but there's the promise of a sand pit at the top where you just get to play. And so that's what I'm doing all the time. I'm just finding maybe maybe not the top of the mountain but just little stop-offs where you've done all this hard work and then you find a moment where you've played and that's where the gems are. And whether I'm writing about death or any other subject or, you know, I'm just trying to make those little moments of those little gems. I'm just trying to get to to shine them up so that they're working for the reader. I think it's amazing. You know, I have such respect and admiration for people who are creative because 
to be able to recognize these gems when they come up because I can tell you I can't. I can't. <laughs> you know, so many times where I thought, oh my goodness, I, I can't even believe that you thought to write it like that. So, I mean, I, for people who have this creative gift, I have an enormous amount of admiration and respect. So, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been an absolute delight. I really encourage people to go out and if you haven't yet, take a look at The Book Thief. It's a beautiful, beautiful read. And I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to to talk to me, Marcus. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, same here. And just quickly, for what it's worth, I'm in absolute admiration for what you do. And I can't imagine how you do that. So it's, <laughs> you know, what goes around comes around. So Indeed. thank you so much for having me. Indeed. It's been a pleasure. You look after yourself. You too. Thank you. In the next episode of What About Death, I speak with Dr. Rachel Menzies, a clinical psychologist in Sydney, Australia, who specialises in researching and treating death anxiety. Rachel shares her knowledge and experience in working with those who fear death, helping them to understand their fear and teaching them strategies to be more accepting and relaxed about the inevitability of dying and death. I hope you will join me next time. Thanks for listening to What About Death podcast, brought to you by karuna.org.au. Don't forget that we have more to look forward to, with new episodes dropping every two weeks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a star rating, hopefully five stars. And remember to follow us in your podcast app and find us online at What About Death podcast.com. 